any other person. I'm a human with feelings that has a lot of hardships that although I've had a lot of opportunities that maybe other people have not, um, we all still deal with emotions the same way. And if they can feel the light that I'm trying to shine in their world, then that'll make me happy. That'll make a, uh, bring a smile to my face. Welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Io Kehu, and this is Hawaii. Today I have with me the fantastic Kaui Daliri. She is former Miss Hula and she is a Kumuhula. And now, over this pandemic, she's just told me she's finished typing up her book. She's a new author of The Radiant One. Kaui, thank you so much for coming on. Well, aloha, Iwane. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> and you were just telling me that, because um, I was telling her, hey, watch out for the boom arm if you're talking with your hands and everything, because, you know, she's hula instructor. And she's telling me she doesn't talk with her hands. I'm like, huh? I don't. I don't talk with my hands. They stay down here holding on to my legs. That's super interesting, because like hula, <laughs> you're, you're communicating with your hands. Maybe I'd do a better job communicating if I did use my hands. Oh, there you go. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> So, so your book is released. Mm-hmm. Okay, hardcover, softcover, and and ebook. Uh, and ebook. Yes, the Radiant One. Okay, and that's just a, a book and story of your life, basically, right? Yes. So my Hawaiian name is Kauimayo Kaleniakea, and that means the Radiant One of the Wide Heavens. That's the title. That's a beautiful name. Thank you. It's like, what does Iwane mean? It means John. <laughs> In both Hawaiian and Greek. And Greek, yeah. I can. <laughs> I'm not jealous. I'm not jealous. But Ke'ehu, mm-hmm. the red hair, John the redhead. <laughs> How appropriate. Super interesting, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I digress. Okay. Um, so one of the things I wanted to ask you and bring you on the show is like, you're an entrepreneur. You have your website, aikumuhula.com. Mm-hmm. And with that, you're sharing hula around the world with people and not just like hula classes where like people are dancing. It's not just Zumba or a workout class. You're actually sharing the cultural aspects of it, but you're doing it remotely as yes. much as possible. And you, you're saying you're like the only one who started doing this? Yes. So back in 2013, um, my friend and I, Mailani, we came up with this idea to create an online hula school. And for me, I was like, ah, that's not that's not good because, you know, in Halau, we, we never used uh, video cameras or recording devices. Everything was written with uh, pen and paper and repetition. You know, we just did it over and over and over. And so I was like, oh, I don't know if people are going to accept that. That's, you know, out of the box. So it took about a good three years before I finally said, okay, let's do it. And the first thing I did was seek the um, approval of a lot of those kumu who are before me. Um, And I've had them come onto my um, website to do interviews so that they can talk about hula and uh, what is hula and, you know, olelo no eo and stuff like that. Just some of their, um, their knowledge. I, I, I felt it was important for them to share their knowledge of hula as well. And it also brought credibility to what I was about to do. And so 
Um, after all of that, I opened or I launched online and did my first classes. And it was a lot of trial and tribulation kind of a thing <laughs> because the internet at times was sketchy. Um, the time difference around the world, it was difficult to have all the students there at the same time because, you know, two o'clock in the morning or in the afternoon here was like 2 a.m. somewhere else. And so there was a time difference that was a lot of trouble. And so there was a lot of tweaking that I needed to do along the way, but it grew into something really good. And now that the pandemic hit, it's been even better. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting ride. So you're totally prepared for the pandemic professionally wise. I guess I was. That's interesting. <laughs> but I still prefer what I was doing. So basically from the website, um, I've had students online with me for like two to three years. And then I approached them to possibly host me in the area that they lived, whether it was Japan or um, Michigan or North Carolina for them to host a workshop with me and fly me in. And so I would go jump on the airplane, fly across the continent <laughs> to let's just say Michigan and hold a hula workshop over the weekend. And, uh, it's amazing how many people love hula. Super amazing. <laughs> there were hundreds of people there in Michigan for my workshop. And from that point on, um, my student then became an instructor and they run the branch for me in that location. So right now I have about 21 locations that are actively running and I have three more that's in training, but I miss flying all over the world and being able to spend time with all these wonderful people, you know? Yeah. Well, so was there any kickback pushback for you training and teaching you know, what is, um, for a better word, Howleys in the mainland who aren't connected to Hawaii at all. Yeah, no, I didn't get much of a kickback because, um, you know, everything I do is authentic. It's, it's true to our culture and they all know all the students online. They know that this isn't it. They can't just learn from me online. There's another part to it. And that's where the traveling comes in. They have to come uh, to do a live workshop with me somewhere in their area. And so that's why it's great that I have different locations so that people don't have to travel so far. Um, but yeah, I mean, being in Halau or being at a live workshop, online classes can't replace that. Like you, you, you can't feel what you feel in person than you do online, you know? So it's kind of a, a two-part thing. It has to work hand in hand. Otherwise, it's just movement that you're learning. Yeah, it's not really hula. So you're saying you have these uh, locations around the country, around the world? Yeah. How so many locations you got? I have 21 locations. Um, oh. I have five in Japan. Um, I'm also in Australia, New Zealand, Mexico, and then all across of the United States, I have Michigan, North Carolina, Virginia, Alabama. <laughs> Loved Alabama. I love. I can't wait to go back there as well. Um, Las Vegas, California. And so I'm spreading all over the place. <laughs> People think Alabama, you think like uh, redneck, hick country kind of thing. It's not. I think Is football. It, 
football. Is it in Birmingham or somewhere Mobile? Mobile. Mobile. Yeah. Mobile, Birmingham. They're they're very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like if you haven't been to Alabama and you're you have a preconceived notion of what Alabama's like, try Birmingham. Try Mobile. It'll change your mind on what what the South is like. But I won't eat alligator ever again. It just tastes like chicken. It was chewy. <laughs> a chewy chicken. <laughs> But they have so much other good foods. See, that's the other thing with the South. They know how to cook. Yeah. So I'll stick to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I went to Alabama a couple of times for uh, training uh, through work. And yeah, I just got to see, you know, it was only in Birmingham, but uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's clean. Um, it's very woodsy forestry kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I mean, it was not what I was expecting to see at all. And everybody was nice. Yeah. Yeah, it was really exciting. Oh, my gosh. I digress talking about the South now. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's fascinating. I love bringing on entrepreneurs um, to the show because, you know, I myself, I, I like to think of myself as an entrepreneur. I like to do new things and stuff like that. And I think that's one aspect of um, your background that I didn't really realize. I can't really, can't really see that, that you have all these locations that have been kind of franchised, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like... My two sisters who are also Kumuhula and they have halau here in um, Hawaii, they focus a lot on competition. And of the three sisters, I'm the one that has not participated as much in competitions. And that's because I've been traveling all over the world and I don't have that time to commit to training dancers to enter competition. You know, I prefer having the opportunity to fly all over the world, share our culture, our language, our, our Hawaiian values with everyone. And someday, someday I'll, I'll prepare for a competition. But for now, I like building this um, empire. Empire building <laughs> empress. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things you were talking about off camera is that you're doing this in the quote unquote correct way as much as you can from the bottom of your heart. Uh, because if you don't, somebody else will. Uh, and somebody else will do it, they'll do it wrong, you know, I so you're going to try to do it correctly. I think that was my hesitation. <clears throat> I think that was my hesitation at first because I was afraid of what my peers would think. But when I looked on the other side of it, if someone like me was not teaching, all these people who love this thing called hula would be learning from YouTube or some hot hula instructor and think that they're doing hula And then they're going to be diluting our culture even more because all these millions of people who are dancing what they think is hula and it's not, you know, it's going to be like horrible. So I figured at least if I'm teaching the right thing, they'll have an authentic hula experience, you know. And I think I just saw um, a quote by Neil deGrasse Tyson, the astrophysicist. Um, And it's one of his, I might flub the actual wording of it, but um, the gist of it is if I'm good at doing something and I'm better at it than a lot of people and it is for the betterment of humankind, it would be irresponsible for me not to do it and not to share it. Yeah, I agree. That's an awesome quote. Yeah. I mean, he blows my mind in a whole (laughs) slew of things and he's like, yeah, he's a good guy. Um, so with that, what, um, Mark, do you want to leave on the world? I mean, you're already doing it, but is there like a 
stake in the ground, like this is what I want people to remember me by? Well, I think um, for me, a lot of people love Hawaii and they love the hula and most of them don't really know why. You know, they say it's this aloha spirit. It's this love, this feeling of belonging. And a lot of people can't make it to Hawaii. They, they dream of paradise, actually. And by me sharing hula and aloha around the world, it's almost like giving them a piece of paradise to help make their lives a little bit easier or be a little more peaceful in, in the moment that they're in. Because, you know, we are driven by stress. <laughs> you know, everybody has to make things work. And, and this time has been super crazy and it's been hard for a lot of people. And hula is that thing that kind of just brightens them up. It makes them feel beautiful. It makes them feel confident. And if I can leave someone with that feeling, then, you know, I've done my job. If I can just uplift one person out there, then I can feel good about doing that, you know? So through hula, I'm hoping to uplift whoever I can out there that's willing to accept my teachings. Yeah, because you're teaching people to do these moves and the whole cultural aspect of it. And yeah, like you said, they're going to find happiness doing it. Because there is a happiness to hula. Like that's why so many people do it. (laughs) Definitely, yeah. And yeah, it'd be irresponsible of us as Native Hawaiians to not share with the world the awesomeness that is Hawaii. Yes. So thank you for doing that. (laughs) Um, are you afraid of anything? Are you afraid of failing? I'm not afraid of frailing, frailing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not afraid of frailing. (laughs) No, I'm not afraid of failing. Um, if you don't fail, you just, you, you won't go anywhere. I mean, for me, I learn from my failure and the only way I can learn is to fail. You know, if, if everything is just so easy and you're just doing it right all the time then life would be super boring and i wouldn't be um i wouldn't be me you know i think struggle is good and um i look at success as doing what i want to do when i want to do it with whoever i want to do it with you know and and uh i'm lucky because through hula i've been able to support my family and enjoy what I'm doing. You know, when, when I fly off to go on trips to do workshops, it's not about just work. I, I fly with my best friend and she's a singer, my Lenny, and uh, we hold workshops, we do concerts, and we also have a really good time. You know, <laughs> we'll go to Disneyland or Universal Studio or we'll uh, go whitewater rafting and visit some pubs or bars around the the cities, you know, and, and so it's really fun. So I, I'm super lucky that I'm able to do the things that I love to do and um, be successful at it. It's like your work is not really work. It's like, sounds like a vacation to me. <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> but that's a good point of success, right? It's like, you know, you've been successful when you don't think of your work as work and it's yeah. fun to do. Yeah. I mean, who enjoys being at a job that they hate waking up and going to? I mean, gosh, that must be torture. Um, but once upon a time I did, you know, I, I was 
starting all over and I had three I I had to work three jobs uh, to support my five children. And I was like a zombie walking through life. I, I would wake up early, go to my day job, which was a, a teacher at a, a school. And then after that, I had halal. And so that was another portion of the evening. And then I was a consultant for another uh, school. And that took me like to midnight. And that was like horrible. I did not enjoy life at all. So finally quitting and just investing 100% into what I'm good at, which was hula, that allowed me to to live the life that I wanted to live. So your book you're talking about, um, one of your main focuses is um, you're back towards the future and you're looking towards the past, towards your ancestors. And is it to make sure that they're proud of you? And so you're you're doing things in honor of them? I think it's more for guidance, guidance. and wisdom. You know, um, I'm pretty sure it's an olelo no el, um, but I can't think of it right now in Hawaiian. Mm-hmm. But the Hawaiian saying goes to plant yourself firmly in the present with your back to the future and your eyes fixed upon the path, uh, past for you to gain wisdom, knowledge, answers. And, um, that's what I was searching for answers, you know, because I was in this, um, this dark place. I had just recently lost my son and I was grieving and trying to deal with things and hula was healing. Definitely. I, I, I kept teaching hula. I kept flying. I kept working hard. I was working extra hard to probably block out all of the, the pain that I was feeling and so writing the book was my attempt to help myself to heal, to look back at my life and be proud of a lot of the moments that I've experienced. I've been blessed with many opportunities to, to travel the world, to meet amazing people, um, to, to just experience life at a, a high level. And so... I'm very grateful for all the things that I have been given and for the many more things that I want to do. And I'm going to keep in mind that with everything that I do do, it's to honor both my mom and Kumuhula and also my son. And so that's kind of, that's just kind of how it all came about. And that transitioned you into wanting to write the book? Yeah, I felt like if I could write what I was feeling down on paper, Mm. that it would be healing for me. And then I thought, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are probably struggling and may have gone through similar experiences that I have gone through. And I was hoping that my story would uplift them or inspire them or, or just help comfort them, you know? So, yeah. Cause your story starts like with you as a child and following your mother Yes. So hula, so the the book, The Radiant One, is really about the love of hula and how hula is healing and how hula has been my best friend my entire life. It's been there for me every time I needed it. Um, It's a great escape. It connects me to my ancestors and it helps build my confidence because it's something that I'm good at, you know. And so the book starts at the beginning and how I feel um, 
how I feel as a daughter of a kumuhula and the expectations and her always wanting us to be excellent in all that we do. So there was a lot of pressure in the way we were raised, but I'm super grateful because she, she, my mom, through hula, prepared me for all the hardships in life, you know? So what's the end goal of the the book for your readers? What do you want them to impart from the book? That I'm just like any other person. I'm a human with feelings that has a lot of hardships that although I've had a lot of opportunities that maybe other people have not, um, we all still deal with emotions the same way. And if they can feel the light that I'm trying to shine in their world, then that'll make me happy. That'll make a, uh, bring a smile to my face. That's beautiful. Beautifully said. Um, and I know maybe this is premature, but any other books in the works <laughs> now that you've done one? Not at this time, but we we're just joking about it because on one of my um, Zoom classes, I was focusing on the students and their dancing and the camera, I forgot to change or pin it to them dancing instead of just me. <laughs> so for the first like 10 minutes, it's all my face watching them dance. And so one of the students made a comment on Facebook on our private page, like, oh, I wonder what Kumu is thinking about all of us dancing. Look at her facial expressions in the first 10 minutes. And I'm like, okay, that's going to be my new book. What does Kumu see when I watch you dance? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, is the book, who's the target audience for the book? Is it necessarily just hula dancers or people trying to get into hula or just anybody in general? Well, I think the the major market is the hula people, and that's a huge market. Um, hula is all over the world. So that, that was my main focus. But it's also for mothers because within the book, um, I struggle with being a single mom and trying to provide for my five kids and having to be away a lot, you know. And luckily for me, I had a great, I have a great family support system that helped me watch the kids while I was on the road. And, and now they're old enough to take care of themselves. So it's easier for me to travel, but it's for moms that, that, you know, they just struggle with, am I a bad mom because I'm not home, you know, or am I doing what I can so that my kids have the best life that, you know, they deserve. So it's also for moms. And then, um, I think for anyone who has experienced grief, you know, it, it, it's been hard for me to even reread the last couple chapters when my son was battling cancer, like it, just even talking about it, I can, you know, I got to start to pinch my legs so that I don't start to tear up, but you know, it, grief is, is, is a hard thing. And especially now with COVID and, and being home and, pause. I mean, like our life is on pause in a, in a sense, you can't help but reflect on your life and, and reflect on all of your decisions that you've made. And, and you wonder, did I make the right decision? Did I not, you know, am, am I at the right place right now? So I think especially during this time, uh, dealing with grief and depression is, is major. And I hope maybe if they read my book, 
maybe it'll uplift them a little bit, you know, help them to know that they're not the only one out there that's suffering. Is there anything else you want to touch on on the book? Nah, they can read it. (laughs) (laughs) Please read my book. (laughs) So in Hawaiian culture, um, mostly ancient Hawaiian, but there's this sense of amakua, the spirit animal. Native Americans kind of have a different aspect of it also. But um, do you uh, subscribe to that? Do you have an animal, spirit animal that uh, relates to you? Definitely. Um, most Amakua are passed down, yeah, through the generations, uh, through the different families and your connections. So, like, from my mom's side uh, is certain Amakua. From my dad's side, there's certain Amakua. Um, luckily for me, I was chosen by a particular Amakua, which then is my favorite one because um, it exemplifies me in a sense. So that's the shark, the mano. And... Um, you know, it's fierce and it's aggressive, but it's also a protector. You know, I think us humans have to remember that the ocean is their home and we are the guest. Um, but when I say I was chosen, when I was 18 years old, I had the opportunity to travel to the island of Ni'iho. And that's where I did my Mary Monarch training. And um, the first time we left the island, there were a line of sharks led by a turtle. And the amount of sharks that was in that line was the same amount of people that was on this trip. And so it was like a ho'ailona or a sign that um, we were all going to get home safely. The second time when I returned back to the island of Ni'ihau to give my thanks because I had just won Miss Aloha Hula. And so, you know, to go full circle, you go back and you say thank you. We actually went to the landing area. It's called Ke'e. And uh, we went in the water where the sharks were. And that was such a surreal experience, just being in the same water while they're there. But to make my story even better, I did also do, not once, but twice, the shark tours in Mm -hmm. North Shore, both without the cage. We swam with the sharks. And it, um, it's such an empowering feeling. I got to tell you, I mean, I was scared at first. I was very, very scared. One of my friends was so scared. She was actually crying, (laughs) but, um, you know, you get in there and you just, it's so humbling. It's like, you know, that this is their place and you better have that respect for them. And so I really like the shark, you know, it's gotten a bad rap because of jaws, But I believe my omakua are the sharks and they protect me. When you were in the water with the sharks, were you comfortable or were you, I know you said you were scared, but were you scared before getting in the water? And then after getting in the water, how did your emotion change? So I was scared when I was on the boat. Mm -hmm. I was scared when I first got into the water. (laughs) And then maybe after a few minutes, I started to, you know, just be open with what I was feeling. And it was interesting because the the feeling of, uh, you know, being scared kind of was just floating away with the, the movement of the ocean. And in the end, I felt like I was home. You know, I wasn't scared anymore. It was just, it was just enjoying and, and being grateful to be in this, this place of mana, you know, with these sharks. So yeah, not, I, 
towards the end, I wasn't scared anymore. But then you were telling me off camera, you don't eat raw fish. I don't eat raw fish. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't eat raw fish and I don't like the water very much. I'm a land creature, um, but it's, you know, something that I was encouraged to go and do. And so I did, you know, I'm an adventurous type, even though it's uh, mind boggling. Sometimes I don't know why I do the things I do. But afterwards, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, I'm not going to get in the water with sharks. I'm sorry. I just, I've seen too many videos and know that, hey, they can take a little nip at you. And no. So I'm kind of scared of sharks. So props to you for that. Thank you. <laughs> um, and the reason I asked you that is, you know, I like to digress into I'm a cool. Um, I believe mine to be the hawk. Hmm. And my nickname is Eel, the Hawaiian hawk. Right. And so... I've found that through my life, um, I'm most comfortable when I'm in the air looking down on the world, whether it's flying or, you know, um, we were hanging off this cliff thing one time for this, um, this kind of self-help kind of thing. And I was just so comfortable hanging off the cliff or even rock climbing, that kind of thing. I'm so comfortable doing that. Are you a skydiver? Not yet, but only because I don't trust the landing. Are you scared to do it? Um, I think my only fear with skydiving, especially locally, is that too many people have died doing it. So it's like, hey, that ain't safe. Like, because we go camping out Mokalia, mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. by the airfield. And, you know, was it last year, two years ago, the airplane crashed, killing everybody aboard? It's like, dude, yeah. that's why we don't <laughs> go skydiving over there. I don't trust the mechanics. I don't trust the... And we've actually been camping when a parachutist had a failure oh no! and they had to cut away their parachute and deploy the reserve. And so you actually saw the cutaway chute spiraling down. Don't mean to scare anybody from doing <laughs> skydiving, but we were at the beach watching this happen. And the, the, you see this little, uh, this big, huge, you know, parachute comes circling down into the water. Crazy. And then they call like HFD and the ambulance and everything. Cause people thought that, you know, the skydiver, Went with that shoot. Yeah, it went with that shoot. But you you could see them like cut away from it and fall a little bit and deploy the uh-huh. deploy the reserve. I was like, oh, see, look, right there. That's why we're not doing skydiving. Well, like I said, I'm a land creature. So mm-hmm. ocean and air are not land. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there there is that whole spiritual aspect to it also where, you know, uh, seeing, for me, seeing things from a different point of view, seeing things... Um, just as a protector, watching out over the land kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So cool. Very yeah. cool. So yeah, Hawaiians out there, not just Hawaiians, but anybody out there, you know, look for your spirit animal, your amakua in Hawaiian. And Native Americans have their spirit animal too. Like Brother Bear. Brother Bear. <laughs> My kids used to love to watch that movie. <laughs> it's a classic Especially when he's trying to talk. (laughs) How? (laughs) Slow motion. (laughs) Oh, we've gone way off topic on this one. Um, So besides, um, I mean, that kind of takes up your whole day, right? you got Aikumuhula and you've got... um, these franchises all over and you've got your book. What else have you got going? 
I'm also the vice president of the Hawaii Academy of Recording Arts, HARA, the people who put on the Nahoku Hanohano Awards. Most impressive. Did not know that. Go. Go ahead, share. My son is also a, um, a musician. He recently um, released his debut solo album called Chasing Legacy. And so um, I help him with his music career as well. And uh, Give a shout out for your son's name. Kupu Taliri Na'awau. Nice. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I do a lot of things. I, I help out a lot of people. I'm also um, with the Make Music Hawaii uh, group, and we put on Make Music Day June 21st and then also December 21st. Um, yeah, and then I'm a mother of five, so. <laughs> so. So you don't have much time for Netflix. I Netflix a lot at night. You do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I binge watch, you know. <laughs> I'll set days aside to just Netflix out. Good. Or good. I'll uh, go to the Pacific Club and just hang out at the pool and play some pickleball and then have some prime rib at, for dinner. So, you know, I, it's I'm lucky because I make my own schedule. You know, I, I'm very good with time management. I know how to do what I got to do when I got to do it. So, Yeah. Okay, so you're being like a a role model to a lot of people in Hawaii and around the world um, with sharing your business, your hula, your book, your story. Um, Is there any historical figure or is there anyone that you take inspiration from, from history? I have many, actually. Um, If you're talking about maybe like social media and branding, Kahikili comes to mind. You know, he was a fierce and brandable person. Um, if you if you talk about being fearless and bold, I, I will think about Kaahumanu. And uh, if I want to be sophisticated, classy, and just generous, I think of Queen Liliuokalani. But I think my most inspirational historical figure would be Hiiakaikapolio Pele. She was a chanter, she was a dancer, she was a surfer, uh, she was a healer. Uh, But what I liked most about her is her loyalty to her sister. And it really played on that value of um, the reciprocal relationships between the older sibling and the younger sibling. So it's the younger sibling's kuleana or job to uh, serve and take care of uh, the older sibling, and in return, the older sibling will care and protect the younger sibling. And that's how the uh, term of Aloha'aina came about because, you know, the land is our older sibling, and we as Kanaka are the younger sibling. So we are supposed to take care of the land, and the land will in return take care of us. And so I really um, love that about Hi'iaka because. In her journey, her adventure from Hawaii Island to Kauai to fetch Lohiau and, and return him to Pele, you know, everything that she went through, all of her, um, the challenges and obstacles that she faced in that journey, it, it showed a lot of values that we hold dear to our heart and which is why we perpetuate it today in, um, you know, the love for the land, the, the, the importance of ohana. Um, just all of that. So she's like, she's my girl. She's mana wahine in its, you know, entirety. So, yeah. 
That's powerful. <clears throat> yeah, I didn't know that the Aloha Aina stems from that in particular, but it does make sense. Yeah. So it goes back to the story of Haloa and Haloa Naka. So the older brother was planted and from there the taro uh, plant grew. And then the next brother, Haloa, he became chief of the land. And so as long as he was to take care of his older brother, which was the Kalo, the land, the land in return would be um, prosperous. It would feed, it would feed the Lahui. And so, you know, that's that reciprocal relationship. You take care of the land, the land going to take care of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it has to be like that uh, throughout the world. It's not just a Hawaii thing. Mm-hmm. And I think more and more people are coming more in tune with that yeah. around the world. <laughs> Do you impart that kind of stuff on your students Definitely. that are on the mainland? Definitely. And um, all of the Hawaiian values and protocols that we go through uh, in hula, I will, you know, I will explain to them stuff like kai when we go to the ocean to to cleanse. Um, some people call it hi'uvai. Even though they're far away, I give them the same concept, like when things are are just so kapulu, things are all over the place and you, you just need to find your center again, go to the ocean, you know, wherever it is. If it's too cold, then uh, too bad, mind over matter. No. <laughs> but, you know, it's just to go to the ocean and, and rinse and cleanse. And so I try to teach them that um, in whatever area they're in. But once a year, they fly home to Hawaii to uh, a retreat in which we go over all of that kind of stuff as well. So very, um, they learn a lot about our values and traditions in here, you know, cause they have to come here in order to learn that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine people come to you a lot with, um, hula questions and hula, you know, stories or I guess mostly questions, but are they coming to you from now for a uh, business and entrepreneurial type questions? Yes. So, um, as you know, I, I have this, what you labeled a franchise, mm-hmm. which is what I call my branches all over the world. And so my instructors, um, besides learning hula, they also learn business and how to, um, market in their area and, uh, use cross marketing with, with me back here in Hawaii. Um, because then I, I'm like the product that they're selling. Right. So we do a lot of business, uh, courses and then I'm also very heavy into wellness and, um, you know, health, well-being. So, so no French fries. We 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 do a check-in every week. Okay. <laughs> I still eat French fries, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, we just try to make healthy choices, mm-hmm. um, both for our body and for our environment. You know, our homes, and then to take care of our land as well. Yeah. Is there anything in um, in your opinion, in Hawaii? And I didn't know this about you um, until you came over here and you were telling me about it, but you actually tried to run for public office. Yes. So your question was if I was what I'm dissatisfied with here in Hawaii. Well, um, I'm dissatisfied with a lot of things and I want things to be better for our people, our communities. And so I thought, hey, I mean, if I'm going to grumble, I might as well try and do something about it. So I ran like way back in the 90s. I I ran for... um, well, maybe it was in the 90s, early 2000s, I ran for OHA. And then just maybe a couple of years ago, I ran for uh, the house district of Kane'ohe. And it, it's like a, a total different world. Like, I don't 
even want to be a part of it. <laughs> All the political spectrum. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's like, it was, it was weird. Like I just, it was not something I wanted to be a part of. And I don't think I'd be happy being in a position like that. Mm-hmm. And that being my job, I prefer the job I have now. So yeah, at least I can say I tried. I, I wanted to make a difference, but yeah, not for me. What was your motivation to do that? Well, it's just um, our economy here in Hawaii is fully based on tourism and military and two things that don't really help our land. You know, there's no aloha aina there. And I really don't like the fact that what draws the tourists to Hawaii is Hawaii and Hawaiian culture. And that we as kumuhula, as practitioners of the culture, and even our musicians, we are treated like everything that we do is supposed to be for free or for little or no money, you know? So when we go to Waikiki and we perform, we get paid pennies when it's us that all these people are coming to see. You know, they want to experience the, um, the traditional culture of Hawaii, yet, you know, they don't compensate us how they should. And so I wanted to make a change with that because I know that um, tourists come to Hawaii for the authentic experience, you know, so... Yeah, the list just goes on and on, and it's not something I like to talk about anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it's really interesting that you um, mentioned tourism and bringing tourists here as part of our economy. When you've done a business that kind of turns that whole thing on its head, we're bringing Hawaii to them mm-hmm. instead of them coming here. Yeah, I think for me it's easier to go to them, but at some point, like I said, annually they come back to me because this is where they need to learn and experience everything. But I I also enjoy the fact that I get to travel and see the world, so. What is your go-to food of choice? I'm a meat eater. I love me some steak and prime rib. (laughs) Yeah. Medium rare or less? No. Medium well. Medium well? It can't be mooing at me. Oh, see, I'm like, no, just like wave the steak, Above the fire a little bit. <laughs> oh, man. Throw it on my plate. I think it's just the sight of the, the blood that kind of turns me off on that. Oh, like, oh. I, sh- I shouldn't share my New York deli story then. Go, go for it. Go for it. Okay. So I went to New York, Manhattan on a trip, and we went to one of those famous Jewish delis, and um, I wanted to get the uh, pastrami sandwich, and they load these sandwiches. I mean, the thing is like three or four inches thick with just sliced meat. So I get the sandwich, go to the table and I'm with my buddy and I take a bite into this sandwich and, um, you know, you can feel kind of the fluid around your mouth and everything. Cause it's like a huge bite, right? It's like a big hamburger, except this is nice red meat you're biting into. And am I explaining it well enough everybody? <laughs> um, but anyways, felt the fluid on my mouth. So I take my napkin, wipe my face and it's like blood. Oh gosh. It was just like red on the napkin. I was like, oh my God, another bite. <laughs> oh, I would have threw up right there. <laughs> but it, it didn't taste bloody. That was the thing. Like it, it had a lot of flavor to it. My favorite steakhouse in New York is Gallagher's. Mm. I went there for the first time and we had this like full seafood platter thing for a poo-poo. <laughs> 
but it filled me up so much. And when my steak came, oh, it looked so good, but I could only eat like half of it, but it was so good. Like, oh my gosh. And, and it wasn't dry or hard or anything. And it wasn't red. So it was like perfect. That was my favorite, favorite steakhouse. I've started salting my steak like a day or two before. You, mm. take the, you get the steak, you put salt on both sides. Um, garlic salt works also. And you just let it sit. You put it back in the fridge mm. and you let it sit for a day or two. And it like seals in all the juices. And so when you cook it, you get like a nice light brown uh, layer and then a nice juicy red layer in, in the middle. Cool. It's good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> and it's easy to do. Just throw salt on it. Yeah. Um, uh, so you're saying, um, and to go back on, uh, the music industry, you're not just hula dancing, but you're also really involved in the music industry. You want to touch more a bit about that before we close? Okay. Um, well, I don't know how to, how I want to talk about it. I, well, you know, everybody in <laughs> Hawaiian music industry. <laughs> well, that was more from my mom because a lot of the musicians perform with the halal. And so, you know, all of those music types are were my mom's good friends and so I've been around them my entire life and now that myself and both my sisters we all have halal we need musicians and they're all right there and I used to be a uh, record producer along with my ex-husband and we uh, did a lot of great music back in the the 90s and now not so much in the producing uh, like engineering it, but I, I have helped other artists such as Mylani, um, Josh Tatofi, the group, whoever, um, kind of a lot of them. And I feel like I can still serve the music community by, um, being a board of governor for the Hawaii Academy of Recording Arts. So, yeah, I mean, I love music, music and hula are like symbiotic. They go hand in hand. So yeah, I like to be in both worlds. And ladies and gentlemen, I got her to talk with her hands. Yeah. So before you were saying you don't talk with your hands and here she is. You know, maybe that's why I'm so uptight when I, before, that's why I was so uptight before because I was always holding on to something and not using my hands. So maybe I relaxed more by uh, wiggling them around for you. <laughs> <laughs> Any last parting words? What would you like um, youthful Native Hawaiians or hula dancers to know? Um, I think anyone who is interested in hula or loves hula and wants to dance hula, just do it. The, the Olalo Noel says, If you want to dance hula, just do it. Like leave the shyness at home because once you get over that hump, that what you feel inside is going to be amazing. And, uh, hula is healing, hula is life. Um, and don't wait start as soon as you can, you know, and, and just enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. But I do want to thank you for having me be a part of your program here. And, uh, it's been super fun. This is the first podcast I've ever done. Uh, so thank you. It's been exciting. Yeah. Thank you for coming on, Kawi. You got me to do a brother bear impression. Yes. So. You better keep that on there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody at home. This is Kawi Deliri. Thank you. Aloha, everybody. Aloha, and stay happy, Hawaii.